Hi, I'm Justin Mormon. And I'm Katie Thornton, and this is the Re-Education of Schools podcast. Where we have open, honest conversations about how to better understand social-emotional learning, trauma-informed care, the whys behind student behavior, and how to help kids navigate it all as they go through school and life. All right, episode 24, Born This Way, Epigenetics. So we're going to preface this really quickly yep. by saying um, we are not we are not scientists. I'm not a... Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a... Geneticist. Geneticist. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There you That's go. probably more so what studies this. Biochemist, maybe? I don't know. All the ists. Let's see how many uh, jobs we can list <laughs> that, that we are not qualified yeah, that to we're speak, not on. Quali- <laughs> speak on. <laughs> but that we're going to proceed to speak on. Yeah. Over the next uh, next 30 that. minutes. Yeah. Um, but what we want to do is pass on, I think it's interesting enough that we uh, want to pass on some of this information about epigenetics and hopefully, maybe, uh, if nothing else, encourage uh encourage you to be able to look into it a little bit more or give you enough insight to be able to understand um that much more about what's like f- what's physically happening with people um who have trauma and then and then generational trauma and how that even works uh and i think that's i think that's kind of our goal here right yeah and this episode's kind of spinning off of we're getting ready to present at uh the ohio t-cell conference yeah. and so we're speaking a little bit about his, his like stories of trauma and the impacts and how do we heal communities um and epigenetics is going to be a component that we'll speak on yeah a small part yeah yeah because again, we're not a, we're not scientists. I can't yeah. stress that enough. Yeah, but uh, it's definitely part of the story of trauma and communities when we talk about generational trauma. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna kind of jump in with like what is epigenetics? Yeah, most people don't know what it is. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, it was relatively recently. I mean, within the last year that I've ever heard of this or started looking into it at all. Yeah. So this is most people have. From my experience, very few people know what this is. So I think it's important that we educate a little bit about just the vocabulary. Epigenetics is a study of how your behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. So it's the whole nature versus nurture argument. I know we'll get into a little bit more. Unlike genetic changes, epigenetics are the reversible and do not change your DNA sequence, but they can change how your body reads DNA sequence. Yeah. That's like, well, that's one of the key things, right? If you hear that, like it doesn't change your actual your actual DNA. Yeah. But it does change how your body is reading the DNA, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. And then it and this is going to I know we're going to talk into it like why does it matter? But it's this is going to happen through generation intergenerational trauma and those kind of things is why um, it doesn't change your human by DNA makeup and design, but it is impacting how people um, outcomes for people and how they're functioning. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I always feel like, and I may mess up the story, so feel free to correct me as I'm jumping in. But, um, so I always feel like this is a great example. This, this study that was done in like 2013 with rats, cause that's what we always, it's apparently what we always do is we study stuff on rats first. So, um, what they basically did to kind of try to start looking into this, um, or to, I'm sure continue looking into this is they took these adult male rats and they, uh, introduced like this cherry blossom scent. Uh, right. Yep. <laughs> I, yes. I have it written down, yeah. but like I always second Confirmed. guess what the scent is. I don't know why. Yeah. It really doesn't right. matter. But cherry, this cherry blossom scent. And anytime they did that, they would shock their feet, like the shock, the bottom of the cage. Um, I'm sure in a really humane way and, but in enough of a way that made the, uh, rats, they like, they didn't like it. Like they didn't like that their feet were getting shocked. <laughs> so yeah. they knew that. And so they would, you know, introduce the cherry blossom scent. Hey, I smell this cherry blossom scent. Now I shock your feet, introduce the scent, shock your feet. 
So they do this, you know, however many times. And then what they end up doing is have those mice breed um, with female mice who never got shocked. Never, they were never put through this mess. And, um, and then what they really were studying is the, the babies of those mice, because obviously it's not, it doesn't take you long to realize like, okay, the adult male mice that are smelling the cherry blossom scent, they obviously are going to have a reaction even if their feet don't get shocked because they're so used to smelling that getting shocked, smelling that getting shocked. Hey, they're going to have a reaction. So what I, one of the things I read when I was reading a little bit more about this study is they even, which getting into all this, but like they even, uh, with some of the mice, they didn't even just let them breed in like a typical way. They, they artificially inseminated the female rats. So they, even the, even the female rats never had contact with the male rats. Yeah. Uh, so it was purely just, uh, you know, passing on the DNA and things like that. So then they have the, the baby rats, which are called pups. I can't remember. Yeah, they're called well, pups. That's the second new vocabulary word for today. I didn't yeah, know that. Pups. We'll throw that on the <laughs> screen. I'm sure. Um, and let people know that baby rats are called pups. So when the rat pups grew up, uh, they had a heightened sense, uh, a heightened response to the cherry blossom smell. Like they, when they would be introduced to the cherry blossom smell, they would have uh, increased anxiety and fear light up in their brain. So remember, they never got shocked. They never even, they never even met the dad that got shocked for real. Um, mom never had been shocked, but th- these pups now, as they grow up, like they have a heightened response. Uh, and was I, another step that I hadn't heard of before. They, they were even born with more cherry blossom detecting neurons in their noses, which I think is pretty crazy and more brain space devoted to being able to smell the cherry blossom scent. So their, their body basically, because of the trauma that the, the dad went through the, the pups now, oh, I keep saying the babies, I don't, I'm just real committed to the pup thing. Yeah. The, uh, I'm not, nothing if I'm not going to be accurate in how I describe the rat babies. Yeah. Um, but they actually, their, their DNA was being read differently by their body, you know, their, their genes. And they said, you know, the way their bodies reacted was you need to be aware of this, be on alert for this. And this is a problem if you smell the smell, but they had never actually experienced it in themselves. And that's, and that's basically like a really easy, hopefully easy to understand or a wild to understand kind of story about like, so that's how epigenetics kind of works, right? It's this idea that your environment can cause changes, uh, that kind of affect your way that your genes are read. Right. I mean that like, like you were saying, Katie, I mean, that's, that's it. Uh, and I think what's also interesting then is that these are actually reversible because they don't change the DNA sequence. Right. So they can actually this can be kind of reversed, these changes. This is the hope part and the healing. We talk about trauma and all the impacts that we have on our kids and, you know, like what can we possibly do? This is the hope part that we can actually, there's things we can do to actually kind of reverse some of the impacts that, that we may see. Okay. So, so that's in a nutshell, epigenetics. Actually, if you search epigenetics, you're going to come across a lot of stuff about, um, (laughs) we were just talking about aging in reverse right before we started this. Yeah. Because everybody believes I am. Yeah. No way. No way. Is that what the belief is? But um, but you actually come across, this is a big study uh, For aging. about aging yes. as well, is epigenetics. So you might come across that, but what I think matters, 
what I think matters more is less about aging and more about um, more about how this impacts kids with trauma. So, okay, so why does this uh, actually matter? Then why do epigenetics matter to to people working in a school? Um, well, it really is that whole argument of nature versus nurture, and what we're really finding it's both. So it's not one or the other. It's not just the environment you grew up in. It's also um, that's part of it, but it's also your DNA makeup that you didn't have control over, that you were just kind of passed on from generational things that have happened. We talk about the ACE study a lot, so historical, generational, and intergenerational trauma. Things have um, – it takes some generations to break some of those cycles. Uh, if you have a great-grandparent that was an alcoholic and then you have a grandparent that was an alcoholic, then you have a uncle that was an alcoholic, you know what I mean? So those things – continue you break cycles you try to get less and less people but there's there is that sequence that is built in there where we have some generations of families that have been living in historical generational intergenerational trauma especially if you look at some some larger which we're not going to really get into contextual societal issues right for those kind of things but those all are affecting dna that continues to be passed down and you are our kids and our schools because of the DNA being passed on that way, our little more heightened response for some of those evocative cues in our learning environments that we may not even be aware of because of things that have been passed on. So I think it's good to understand that as we talk about um, – you talk about culture responsive teaching in the brain. We talk about um, trauma responses, ACE scores, all those things. Uh, epigenetics is one of those components that we have to look at and just know that it's there's some familiar um, family history of things that have been going on that are outside of the child's control that have been passed on. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's exactly right. Like it's interesting because you've got, you're working with people. If you're working mm-hmm. at a school, you're working with people. And this is also the, the whole rat story, right? That study that's, it's similar with people. I don't know if it's the exact same, but it's going to be similar with people. Um, so even forget the rats for a minute and let's just say it's people for, you know, the sake of what we actually do for a living. And imagine that you're somebody that grew up in like a really intense, uh, potentially unsafe environment. And so they go and have children, mm-hmm. which is fine and great. Uh, and maybe they're like, I don't even want my kid to have to experience the same things I experienced. So I'm going to live up my life a different way. Right. And so their kids are luckily get to grow up in a much safer environment than they did. Let's say best case scenario. Right. But there, if this, if this study and how, if what epigenetics is kind of starting to tell us is those children are actually going to potentially have an increased amount of brain space devoted to fight or flight response. They may have um, more auditory neurons, potentially, right, that lead them to have a disproportionate, like, heightened response to loud noises. Even though their home is safe, that's been passed on to them that, like, oh, that's how their genes are being read. Like, you should be worried about loud noises, even though they've never personally experienced it. That's what their ancestors have experienced, their parents have experienced. You know, like, maybe a more alertness to authority in some way that you wouldn't expect again, like you can kind of see how all this starts to connect. And so then all of a sudden this person who's an adult, a parent potentially that we're working with in a school who had a pretty traumatic childhood in some way. Um, again, in what we're getting ready to talk about, maybe, maybe it's somebody that came even from a different country, like fleeing war and yeah, refugees. Yeah. Right? right. All these, all these kind of things. And then we're surprised cause we're like, Oh, but these kids are in a safe place. They should be fine. No, no, no. Like this stuff has been passed on. In, in ways that n- the 
kid probably doesn't even recognize the parents don't recognize and the parents are wondering like, well, they're in a safe spot. Why are they having these big reactions to things? And so then you start talking, get slightly off topic here, I guess maybe, but, um, thinking about how we interact with parents, because then if you are a parent and, uh, you, you are seeing these reactions out of your kid when they go to school, mm-hmm. maybe you know what your own experiences are and you know the safety that you've created at your house though now, then you're going to be trying to make some kind of connection. What is the problem? And your only assumption is going to be the problem has to be something inappropriate happening at school. Yep. Something unsafe is happening at school. And so now all of a sudden we have this adversarial kind of relationship between school and parent when really this is nobody's like, it's nobody's fault. Like it's schools could potentially be completely safe. Home could be potentially safe. And we're working with an epigenetical. I don't know if that's a word, but like kind of hashtag uh, that I know. <laughs> it is now. If, you're a, if you are a scientist and you're listening to this, feel free to correct what we say. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to think that there's all this happening and it could lead to so much confusion and it could lead to so much, um, like, I don't know, like somebody has got to be doing something wrong. Right. And so sometimes we've heard it and we try not to at schools. Right. But we can get to a spot where we're like, well, home must be a mess or homes like, well, school must not know what they're doing and they must be doing something inappropriate. Right. Like, because everybody's trying to, they, we want to have a reason. And sometimes there is a reason, but it's maybe not a reason. And then you know, we're asking the kid, what's, what's the problem? Yeah. That kid doesn't know. Like yeah. if this is, if this is how, if they have an increased sensitivity to, to loud noises yep. an increased sensitivity to male presence or female presence or whatever it is, they don't know that. It's not like they're sitting around thinking, Oh, that's right. I remember that I have like an increased sensitivity to yeah. whatever. Like, and so we're all trying to find a reason and maybe, maybe we're not going to find one. Uh, that's, that's as noticeable as what we'd like it to be. Yeah. And just, I kind of wrote just kind of how generational trauma works. So I think that's important for people to understand too, with this whole context. So here's how it works. It says trauma can leave a chemical mark on a person's genes, which then can be passed down to future generations. Uh, this mark doesn't cause a genetic mutation, but it does alter the mechanisms by which the gene is expressed. This alteration is not genetic, but epigenetic. Yeah. Is basically essentially how generational trauma, when we talk about that um, with within family history structures, um, that's essentially how it is. We continue that until you kind of can really, truly um, we'll kind of talk about how you heal and break those cycles. But so some of the experience that people's great, great, great grandparents have had um, that it continues to be passed down through. And you look at people's family histories. It's amazing that some families are functioning as well as they are knowing just some of their their stories about survival and those kind of yeah, things. It absolutely. is really quite incredible that um, here we are for some people. Yeah. Well, when you think back even over the last, you know, 100 years, yeah, roughly 100 years to 115, 20 years, right? We've had, just in this country, mm-hmm. we've had two world wars. We've had multiple other wars that that then people had kids and kids, you know, and there are things that are passed on well, from sure. that. Well, sure. Look at right? our own generation. I mean, the, we've had so much stuff going on in the Middle West, Middle East since we've mm-hmm. been college aged, right? Yeah, sure. sure. The last 20 years here, people overseas, but yeah, we have yeah. a lot of then, parents right now that have 
military vets, right, that have experienced some trauma overseas yeah. or people that have moved into our country because of the conflicts. And we've continued to have things going on currently right now yeah. that's going to have a big impact. And what we're talking about is going to impact each one of those generations. Yeah. Coming and then up. you have you have a, a pandemic, right? Worldwide pandemic that also is going to be significant. That's why I think reading about some of this stuff, and it's not like a doom and gloom kind of podcast episode hopefully but um i i mean i think when people are like well if we just get through those handful of years where kids you know were um were like had to be at home and whatever else and we get to like this group that's coming up in the next five six years they'll be that they'll be okay i'm like well but all those kids parents will have lived through some stuff that was pretty intense felt pretty intense so um so i think it's just interesting to to kind of think through okay so how does this uh impact us in the classroom um, so we've talked about it some, but. yeah, I think it's the whole nature versus nurture kind of argument. I think people that it's not always student choice. I think we know that a lot. I think that's what trauma informed care has basically ta- sure. taught us a lot. Nobody walks in and going, I'm just like to be a bad kid today. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think we know that show <laughs> these teachers. Yeah. Today I'm choosing to get in lots of trouble and have people yell at me and, uh, just like yeah. lose any possible privilege I possibly what, could have. That's what feels good. Today yeah, is going to be a great day. Good. Can't wait to walk in. Right. So I think hopefully if anything, you hear through our whole podcast, that trauma informed care and the ed- educational neuroscience, epigenetics, all of it. Right. That just says that the nature, there's a nature versus nur- nurture part that generational intergenerational trauma greatly impacts students' stories behind their control, beyond their control. Like we just t- kind of talked about, and it's our job to support creating new neural pathways. So we are creating new experiences for kids and it's the repetition and practice. Essentially, that's why the science of reading is effective to teach sure. kids to read because sure. you're doing repetition of work with um, that multi-sensory approach and that you're creating those new neural pathways for kids to learn how to, to read. So that same thing with behavior that's not changed, but we want to create experiences and that uh, those new neural pathways, essentially we're going to do that through experiencing healthy relationships and lifestyles that are, will ultimately alter and heal genetic outcomes for future generations. So creating those new neural pathways and experiences and a sense of safety, healthy relationships, trusted environments over generations that will start to reform some of this epigenetics and generational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's certainly there's stuff that can be done in a short term that helps with all this. Right. And then I think that there's also, it's like, it's a combination. There's short term benefits, but I think it's also playing kind of a long game. Um, overall too you know i think it's a little bit of both uh you know i just thought like as far as how this impacts classroom is you if you are a teacher you are 100 percent going to have kids who have had parents who have had trauma or grandparents who have had trauma and have generational trauma um you're going to have kids like that and uh their homes might seem stable and fine uh you know, but they're still going to actually be impacted by this generational trauma and this idea of epigenetics. And so you can't necessarily always point to a specific reason. I think it's important to know that because I think maybe that takes a little bit of uh, pressure off. I, I, and not that we don't try to find solutions to things. I think finding solutions and finding help is important. But I think sometimes we get so hung up on like if we just found out what the problem quote unquote is whatever that problem is, then we could like eliminate that. Well, that's not necessarily how it works. Well, it goes back to, we always go to like trying to find the root cause of behavior. What is the reason for the behavior? And ultimately sometimes the root cause of behavior, we can't 
there's not like a quick like intervention you can put in place. Yeah, it's not just like we we explored it for a day or two and now we've got it. Yeah, we're gonna do this yeah. quick functional behavior assessment and it's gonna tell us exactly, okay, you just need to do this for eight weeks and it'll be so that's what I caution some of these kids. I think we talk about the tier MTSS tier system. Most of our kids in tier two that need maybe some SEL or behavior interventions, like short term eight weeks things, programs that companies are selling, right? Do these interventions probably will work for 98% of those kids in this tier two. But some of our high needs, extreme behavioral cases in school, that will, that the long-term things that we need to do for kids and really understanding the root cause of their behavior is so stemmed into epigenetics and generational trauma and those kind of things that I think those things will help. Some, sure. But, yeah, they're not going to hurt. But there's such another layer into this that we have to – that's why the trauma-informed FBAs are really important looking at kids holistically and their universal needs and the family history and all those things unpacks all that. It's going to tell a story, and there's just good relationship practices that we can do, regulation practices, creating safe environments, those kind of things that isn't necessarily a script as we talked through our last episode, the people versus programs, right? Yeah. Those things um, – there's not like a program where we're just going to buy and just do that with the kid for eight weeks and that's going to fix it or yeah. just put them in this like check-in or check-out system or self-monitoring. plan. I mean, those are all good tools and interventions, but for some of our kids that are, we're really speaking through some, some heavy trauma, that's, that's not going to be the ticket. So that's going to fix this for the school year. Yeah. And I think what's hard is like we get, we can get frustrated for a lot of reasons and some of them are valid and some of them aren't, you know, from a teacher's standpoint, but I think we can get frustrated when it doesn't work for like, you know, the one or 2% of kids. And then what our solution is, is like, if we just didn't have to have that kid anymore, then, then it's the then problem might, solved for me. Yeah. All <laughs> the things would be okay. But really, if you look again, you kind of zoom back and look at like a macro view of it. Really what we're doing when we do that is we're, we're offering up, you know, a, a great, opportunity for this, uh, generational trauma to continue and for this distrust and, and any number of other things like over, um, like hypersensitivity to, to a school environment, to officialness, to whatever. I, I just think we're really inviting that in when we, when we say like, if I just didn't have to. Yeah. And I, and again, like it is easier. I also think, you know, I wasn't planning on saying anything about this, but like, I think that, um, it's important to recognize for ourselves too. We talk a lot on here about like knowing yourself and how important that is. I think that it can be, it's hard work potentially on with what your family history is, right? It can be hard, kind of grueling, kind of not super happy, exciting work to do to like know about your past <laughs> mm -hmm. and not just even your past, but like the past of, you know, your ancestors, I guess. The word ancestors makes me think of like old times for some reason, like, yeah. you know, doesn't it? But I think it's important to recognize that this, this isn't just like, oh, epigenetics has to do with like just the kids. It has to do with me and you has to do with all of the people listening, right? Like it, it's all of us are impacted by these kind of things. And it, I think it's good to know how you know, and, and in what ways. Yeah. And you may not even realize that you're experiencing generational intergenerational trauma because it's a story that's your normal. And yeah. I think for yeah, a lot of people, different. it's not until yeah. you go to college or maybe you marry into another family. You're like, oh, that's not normal. The how maybe or 
everyone's normal is different, right? But like sure. that maybe was something maybe that I need to process and go through that I, I wasn't expecting that to come out that way for me. Um, and I think looking at your colleagues too, right? So we, we're going to talk about a future episode of like having pushback. We have colleagues that have gone through so sometimes things that kids do are a trigger for them. Yeah. But it's good for them to start, you know, so to be sensitive to the fact that other, um, your colleagues, people you have to work with, right? I've been encouraged that I feel like maybe it's because the network we run around in, but I feel encouraged that more people are talking about it. Yeah. Where before I felt like it was not mm -hmm. kosher to talk about um, trauma or generational trauma or like family history things. And not that you go out with a mixed company and be like, hey, let me tell you. Yeah. But I do feel yeah. like we're with really close friend networks or people you've known or just because we've had a lot of conversations, I think, at work. People um, have disclosed a lot of different things to me. And they said, hey, I think I'm really going to work through this that's happened to me. And I, I think that's been the cool part about some of the work that we've done is that I think we've helped a lot of adults um, – and we always say every time we do PD, like we are not counselors, <laughs> sure. we, you know, but yeah. people end up reaching out to us and say, Hey, I just want to, because I went through your class, I really started processing or thinking about some of my own stuff from childhood. I'm going to start working on it. So that's happened. Yeah. I think a lot over the last two years. And I think that's cool that people feel comfortable to really help and heal themselves so that they can help and heal kids. Yeah. It always starts with an awareness, right? If you don't have an awareness of, of what maybe what maybe the things are that you even need to work through. Like if you haven't explored that at all, then why would you go try to work through them? Right. Like you wouldn't mm -hmm. know. And so starting off with that awareness, uh, I think is incredibly helpful. And then you can go to somebody who for real is a counselor. Not like we yeah. were always happy to talk to people, but like you can, all, you can start doing stuff mm -hmm. with people that are trained to help you out. And I think that's important. Um, I think that's all important work to do. Yeah. And I think, I just think it's important to, you don't have to be an expert on all this stuff. You just, it's good to know some of it though, and to be aware. All right. So how can we help correct the impacts of epigenetics? Well, I think it's important, unlike, uh, this is probably the more scientific thing, definition, but importantly, unlike mutations in DNA, epigenetics abbreviations are potentially reversible. The goal of epigenetic therapies is to restore normal gene functioning by resetting the switches that turns the genes off back on. So, um, so it's just that easy. Yeah. So just that easy. <laughs> just turn those switches on. But it really starts with establishing healthy lifestyles and relationships. So we talk about those trusted relationships, how important relationships, relationships, relationships. Yeah. Uh, the science, the research I did through epigenetics was the same thing. Research yes. and lifestyle. Yeah. So we know a lot about, we talk a lot about, about healthy eating, um, regular regulatory exercise activity, healthy relationships with trusted, trusted people. It will alter the family outcomes once we start getting generations of people um, working through and towards those positive learning environments. You can create that here at your, in your classroom or at your school. Creating that environment is one step. So maybe you can't control a family, like circle of control. Maybe I can't control family outcomes, but I can control for the four years this kid's at my school. They're going to come to school every day and feel safe, have healthy relationships, have regular regulation practices, trusted relationships, a sense of belonging. That will start helping heal some of this um, and potentially reverse some of those epigenetic effects. So, yeah, no, that's good. I think empathy, 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 right. is always a great place to start and remembering that like empathy versus sympathy. So we're not, again, we use kind of the Chris Voss example a lot. Like you don't need to get in the quicksand with somebody, but I also, that's, that would be more of the sympathy side. But I also think it's important to remember that you shouldn't pretend like somebody's able to get themselves out of the quicksand by themselves. 
Like it's a little bit of both, right? You don't need to get in the quicksand with somebody. But you don't need to let them. But you also drown. don't need to be like, well, figure it out, quicksand stuck yeah. person. Like, yeah. guess you're on your own because I yeah. can't get in there with you. Well, there's other options, you know. And so I think, but that starts with I think that starts with empathy, is uh, just understanding where people potentially come from, and that you may not even know their whole story. And, and that's okay. You can still have empathy and act in empathetic ways without knowing somebody's whole story. It's not easy. Like, let's recognize that. It's not easy if it's if it's a friend. It's not easy if it's a colleague. It's not easy if it's one of the kids in your classes. But you can do it, and you have to do it on purpose, and you have to practice it often, um, or else you're not going to do it. You know, you're going to have just whatever your knee-jerk reaction is. And I think that's, for any of us, that's not going to be great because we're just going to react to however we're feeling. Um, and then, again, we have just, uh, you brought it up with the relationship side of things, which, um, you know, we obviously have a pretty great episode on relationships that's out there. Episode four. Something. Look at you knowing. Uh, I just sent it to somebody. Oh, look, I have it written somebody down. It sent, says four. Yeah, somebody just asked for it. So you were, you were right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that... Uh, I think it's good. And, and again, I think those healthy, safe kind of relationships are are a great place to start for the kids um, to have those with you and to try to foster those within your classroom between students as well. Um, and again, I think I always we always say this because it's such a misconstrued thing. And go back and listen to episode four to make sure you know what the myths are about a relationship and a healthy relationship. But when we say that, we never, ever mean um, just like anything goes or we're just playing games all the time or whatever. Or we can only we can never tell a kid no or yeah. whatever things it is. There's it's not true. Re- good uh, relationships have boundaries and consequences yeah, for absolutely. them. And So just remember that I always feel like we probably for all of our lives, we'll have to qualify that um, as we do that. But yeah, it's really, it's really those things. I think it starts with empathy and then you, you have to have that empathy to be able to even build. It's such a crucial part of relationships. But again, it's, it shouldn't be surprising to us at this point. If you research people and how people heal from trauma and how people um, heal from just about any kind of anything that has to do with the brain, it always comes back to like healthy relationships and being in a community of some sort. And it just seems to be how we are wired um, as people. And I think that it's important for us to, to find that. So if you need that, I mean, I'm a pretty introverted, I can be at my house kind of person uh, for long periods of time, but I, I also have to remind myself frequently, like I, but I need people. I'm not going to be good if I don't have people around me. I also me. try to remind you frequently. You do. <laughs> Lots of don't, you're not the only one. Lots of people trying to remind me that all the time. Uh, that, that that's for the best. Like it's yeah. for, I mean, it's for the best. People are good at bringing it up and making sure I remember. So um, what do you want people to walk away from this episode knowing? Um, I just put epigenetics is the outcome of generational, intergenerational ACE impacts, which we have episode twos on ACEs, if you have not listened to that one yet, that our children are experiencing. So if education feels different, it's because people are different hmm. um, at the genetic level. So things have changed over generations. If you're wondering what's happened in the last 50 years in education, our family stories are beyond any of our control, but we can be intentional about changing the outcomes for future generations, which starts with us knowing ourselves and educating the public about this type of work. Yeah. Oh, I think that's good. Yeah, I just uh, I was just thinking that there are, there are real actual changes that occur in our brains and in our bodies when we experience trauma, and that those uh, actually those impacts have the potential to last for generations. Um, I don't say that 
to make anybody feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that I, I think I could imagine somebody feeling bad, like oh, I've experienced trauma now, I'm going to pass it on to my kid, or I should never have kids because I've experienced trauma or something. We're certainly not saying anything like that. I think it's just we should be aware, like yeah. be aware that yeah. um, not beware, be aware. <laughs> it sounded intense <laughs> thanks, when I was thinking. Thanks, yeah. thanks for clarifying. Yeah, I felt like maybe that needed to be clarified. Um, but I think that's important for us to just know so that we can. Um, so that we can be purposeful about how we act and how we interact moving forward. And I think it's also maybe more than even that. I think it's important for us to know that we have a pretty miraculous um, ability and kind of power to help people's brains heal through healthy relationships with them. Um, that's an that's a really amazing thing that we have the opportunity to do in a school setting with kids, like a really pretty amazing there is no other way to say it besides it seems, seems miraculous that, yeah. that just having a good, healthy, solid relationship with a kid can actually start shifting how their brain works and then start shifting how their body reads their DNA. Like what? Like that shouldn't happen just from there. There's no reason I can wrap my mind around why that should be able to happen. Um, but it does. And we have that power. And we are very uniquely situated to spend a lot of time with kids. And there is a guarantee that you have kids in your class right now that, um, that need that from you. And so we've got to be able to be aware of that and, uh, and make those, make those efforts to be that person that is in a healthy relationship and shows what kids that, that that's capable, that they're capable of that. And that is possible. Yeah. We, um, I sent out a quote this week to the staff. It was by Jane Goodall, but basically said every day you're gonna have an impact. Just this, you get to decide what kind of impact it's yeah. going to be. Right. I mean, her quotes more in depth than that, but it's basically the present, you know, the essence of it. So, but that's, that's it. You're, you are going to have an impact and that's essentially why I think people go into education. They want to make an impact on kids' lives. And sometimes it's the really hard work, but it's, it's so worth it. Yeah. 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 It's usually not the pay that uh, they no. go into education for. <laughs> I've found, um, maybe somebody does. I don't I know. Know. <laughs> well, uh, Hey, this hopefully was an interesting conversation yeah. for you guys. Uh, we appreciate you as always joining in and, um, we would love to hear more. Maybe you're out there and you're like, I'm a, I'm a brain scientist. I don't know. You guys that. are really screwing us up. <laughs> you guys, you guys said a lot of wrong things. We'll do an episode where we correct everything. We yeah, would we absolutely love to have, we'd love to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out. Josh will set it up for you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, get, we'll get all that worked out, but uh, no, we appreciate you guys joining in. If you have additional questions about this, uh, feel free to ask us. I mean, I think we're going to probably Google it. So, I mean, you also maybe do your own research, uh, but I think you, uh, by all means, ask us or tell us how this has been helpful or, or if there's something you want us to talk more about surrounding this as far as approaches um, or things like that, let us know. Uh, we just appreciate you. Hey, share the videos, uh, share the podcast with somebody yeah. that might be interested in this. Uh, obviously this is a topic that maybe stems even outside of just the educational world. I think that, um, could be useful for a lot of people to hear about a lot of families. I've had a lot of, yeah. uh, families reach out and say, Hey, my parents are listening or just kind of a good entry point to start talking about some of maybe your generational intergenerational trauma yeah. that's happening in your family. So I've had, um, people reach out and tell me that they have their families listening just yeah. to kind of jumpstart a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All great ideas. Well, we appreciate you guys. Uh, and hopefully you guys have a good next couple of weeks before we hear you hear from us again and let's go out there and do some work. Let's do it. Mm -hmm.
Hey everybody, let's keep the conversation going. Like and subscribe below and keep the comments rolling.